If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today we're going to introduce Rebel Morrow. So Rebel's an eventing specialist, coach, rider and trainer. She also rode at the 2004 Athens Olympics and is currently riding and competing. How are you today, Rebel? Good, thank you. Very Good. well. Good. Now, we normally start the interview off with an inspirational quote or a quote that you often use when you're teaching. Have you got one for us today? Stay on. Keep your legs on. <laughs> if in doubt, um, if in doubt, hang on with whatever you've got. No. Yep. <laughs> um, inspirational quote. Like, I guess the main thing is to be able to believe in yourself. Like, I mean, that's a massive thing for whatever discipline you want to do, believe in your own ability and that would be the main thing, I think. Because I mean, as as a coach, you get so many people come to you with so much self doubt and doubt in their horse or their riding or their ability, and it's just finding that belief in them and the horse that they're they're riding, and the belief in you as a coach to make it all come together. So mm, mm. I think that would be the the main thing. Hmm. So it's sort of like as a coach, then it's not just the technical skills that people are after. They need you to be the motivator. They oh, need you to be the confidence they builder. They do. Mm. Totally, totally. Like there's plenty of people that can instruct other people, but then the next step is becoming this coach, the person that they need you for, for their confidence, for their guidance, for their, I mean, that's that next step, you know, and obviously we teach a lot of people, I go to clinics and, and around, you know, Australia teaching, you, you can't be a coach to all those people. You can instruct them on the day because you might only see them once or twice a year, mm. but it's, um, it's more your weekly people that, you become a mentor to. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because I'm aware that I'm a mentor to a lot of my clients because, you know, I have mentors. I have the guys that I coach. I, I, I look for the guy that coached me. I look for them for my guidance in my mm. next step with this horse or where I'm going with my business. And, yeah, and, and I mean, and I, and I do love that about my job that when you go to that next step with someone you're teaching, you become that coach to them, you know, like, and yeah, it makes you feel, it makes you feel really good. It makes you feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, uh, you know, people that don't have horses don't understand it's the lifestyle and the quality of life mm-hmm. that people want. It's not to do with necessarily the work, the money, anything else. It's, it's the whole lifestyle thing. Yeah. Definitely not yep. to do with the money. <laughs> it's not to do with the money side of it, but it is, it's, it's it is the whole lifestyle, you know, like I don't ever feel, I mean, you know, parents obviously back me in what I do, but, you know, they just see how much time, effort and money and I guess cost the life that I have. But what I do is, is it's, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole 24 hours, you know, mm, in a day mm, is, is revolved around the horses, but that's what I want to do. Like all my thoughts and, and effort goes into it and, the people that I know, like through horses, it's such an amazing family. That's that's where the whole you know have such a larger family because of the horse community. Like it's um very unique thing to be a part of. Mm, mm. 
All right. Now I want you to think back of how you first started with horses, what your first memories were. First memories, well, I've always had horses in the family, like both my grandparents trained race horses and mum got into performance riding with the Appalooses. So we've always had horses around because she was a professional herself. And it wasn't until, and we, we rode the Appalooses until, I think maybe until I was 11. And then we moved into eventing with the Appalooses around that time between mm-hmm. when I was 9 and 11. And we yep. met Simon Kale and he got us into the sport of eventing and like never looked back since then. So mm-hmm. it's always had horses and I, I, I because my, both my grandparents were racehorse trainers, like I had visions of becoming a jockey, but I grew too tall, you know, too <laughs> heavy, all that sort of business. And then, yeah, like literally beating Simon and moving into eventing, I never looked back from then of yep. what I wanted to do anyway for the rest of my life. Okay, yeah. okay. All right. What do you think then the core skills are to have a career with horses? Like you've talked about the, the 24-hour day, but then you've also talked about the family, you know, but but to be in that family, mm-hmm. to be a professional, to be involved with horses, what are the skills that people need? You know, we're thinking just core skills, just just skills that if someone approaches you and they're about to leave school and they're thinking about that for a career, what sort of advice would you give them? Mm-hmm. I, I I do give them the advice of uh, now that I'm now that I'm an older person, like to definitely have more of a backing behind you. Like once you leave school, like still getting a you know another 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 profession, not only another profession, but something else to fall back on for money earning. Because definitely from the period that you leave school for a good. Maybe ten years. It's a tough gig, you know, breaking into then making it a profession for a life profession for you. Like so, that, that ten years after you finish school is, is, is money wise for yourself is, is very difficult. Mm. So I definitely advise that people, that kids, still do. You know, not just want to go and groove for someone and, and and go straight into horses. I do advise that they do look at other other careers and ways of earning money while they're still riding their horses and training their horses and wanting to do that. Because mm, mm. like, uh, as most of us do know, like, you know, when you injure yourself in this sport or things like that, like, it's very difficult to keep earning money, like, being a professional horse rider. So, and look, at, and I, when I finished school, I, I worked at the Meatworks in Kilcoy, so I did work, so to speak, a normal job for about mm-hmm. maybe five years, and but that was enough for me then to get a good backing of money to then when I moved down to New South Wales, I started actually grooming for Tasha Hammond and then, but I could finance myself because of the money I earned through another job prior to doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that, that is my advice because it is tough and I'm not going to sugarcoat any of it. Like it is, it is an extremely tough job to get straight into, you know, and, and earn a living out of. And, and look, you, you've got to be tough. You've got to be resilient. You've got to be, you got to have passion. You've got to have desire, and yeah, and and you've got to actually learn, which is something that I wish I did focus more on. You've got to learn how to be a business person too. You know, mm-hmm. it's all good to be able to be a good rider and be a good coach and love horses and be great at what you do, but you actually got to run a business too, and do book work and do <laughs> all yeah. that other very tedious stuff. And if you're not good at that, and you're not good at promoting yourself, and so there's a lot that needs to still be done. And I do advise that now because yes, you can't just earn money off just being a great writer. There's mm. so much more involved in in this business. So, 
See what age does to you? Age just makes you become <laughs> so much more aware. So going back to the riders, you know, when they first leave school, you're saying to to basically do both. Don't put your riding on hold. You still keep learning. You still keep riding, competing, exactly. do all of that. Yes. Get, yes. Gain yes. your skills, but maybe have a job just to support your riding. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yep, yep. I do advise that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, yeah. what's made made it? What do you think you had to get to the level where you're riding at an international level, you're representing your country at the Olympics? What do you think you had above all the other people that aspire to ride at the Olympics? You know, I look back on my time of getting there and, I mean, yes, it, it does take – you've got to have natural ability, you've got to have talent, you've got to have the right horse. You've got to have – it's all – it's all good timing too, you know, like it's things just, not fortunately, but I, you know, I was lucky enough that things all fell into place for me at the right time, you know, and it's like a domino's effect of great things that got me to go to the Olympics because you know how quickly things fall apart too, a domino's effect of your horse going lame or you're missing that event, you miss that qualifying event, you can't go to that event, you can't get selected or you're falling off, or, you know, mm. but it, it, it's... It's just this definitely this is passion that you have to have to want to succeed, you know. And there's definitely plenty of times through all of that that there was little hiccups along the way that could easily make you put things on the back burner or look for excuses or it's all too hard or it's all too whatever. But you do just have to be extremely, extremely tough, you know, okay. and you have to be very realistic in the understanding of how much hard work it does take and the hours that it does take to to train to be, you know, a professional in this sport, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of luck involved too, a lot of luck. Okay. But I'm talking luck as in, in timing of, of how things go. Yep. You know, luck's got to be on your side as well. Is it experience to, um, you know, to be more experienced to get the better luck? luck? Well, I, I, you've got to be an opportunist. An opportunist too, like you've got mm-hmm. to be able to venture out and go out on a limb and, you know, buy that horse or take a trip overseas with that horse or go out on, go out on leads, you know, mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. do that. It's very, like I learned, and I definitely learned this after the Olympics, you know, you can't just sit back and wait for success to keep coming. You actually have to keep hunting that down. Okay. So, yeah, I, I miss a lot of windows after it, looking back on it now. You know, I've got a lot of regrets on how I – ran myself after the Olympics, you know, because, yeah, things don't come to you unless you keep searching and striving and looking mm-hmm. for that next big break. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just sit on what you've done. Yep. It's a big lesson that I did learn then, you know, like there's a time to capitalise and, and I didn't, you know, I didn't enough and now I'm left with not having that string of horses that I should have been able to keep, mm-hmm. keep, keep going on, you know. Yep. So then there's a massive break in my career because I just didn't have horses at that level. Yes. I mean, I was still working the business because I still had their money and all that sort of business, but, you know, I lost that, mm-hmm. that string mm-hmm. of horses. Yeah. Okay. okay. You've talked about Simon, Simon Kale, Tasha Hammond. Yeah. Who, who else has influenced you? So, uh, like, early on, Simon Kale did – he got us into the sport. Like, he was a massive, massive influence, like, mm-hmm. and a very good friend of the family. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm pretty sure from then is how I then hooked up with Tasha and met Tasha and – She's like a silent Tom when I was a kid, pretty much, and then I started then having lessons with Tasha in my adult life, and mm-hmm. so she is the biggest impact that I've had on 
my writing style. Yes. Simon was a massive influence in getting us into this wonderful, wonderful sport. But mm-hmm. then to meet up with Tasha and then be educated from her as an adult fighter, as an older person or however you want to put it in that sense. So, yes, my style is very much a role around her method. I'm very, very grateful to that because it's an amazing way of writing. So, And now her partner, Andrew Barnett, so I get jumping lessons off him and, and I'm actually at Andrew and Tasha's now. I've been there for the last couple of months, like training. Because as, as a coach and as working this business full-time, we run out of time to have lessons for ourselves as well because you're too busy teaching everybody else and all that mm, sort of mm, stuff. So, mm. you know, and because I haven't had this good string of horses at top level, I don't get taught on the other horses. And so, yeah, I sort of rang them up there that one day. I said, do you mind if I come down for a few months? I need some, <laughs> I need some training. They said, sure. sure. So it's, it's been great. So just be able to tune my skills up and mm-hmm. get me back in the swing of, um, you know, all, all the correct things and how they, just, just watching how they run their business, you know, and it's a, it's a great yes. operation and, yeah, so everybody needs that inspirational tune-up every now and again too. <laughs> mm. You know, it's Stuart Tinney, Shane Rose, because it's all the guys that are out there doing it, you know. I, yep. I mean, anyone inspires me that's a winner, that loves this sport, that puts their all into it, that's a great person, you know. Like, there's numerous people, you know. Like, even to Fiona Hughes, you know, like, a different respect. She doesn't ride full-time anymore, but... She's out there. She loves this sport. She's so inspirational, you know. So, yeah, and she just she just backs this sport so much and puts so much mm-hmm. back into it. And and that's I find that inspirational, you know. So, yep. Yep. numerous yep. people. You couldn't just I couldn't just put it down to a few, but yeah. All right. When people look for a potential Olympic horse, you know, they go to the top breeders, the top studs, the top places. They look for the horses with great potential. Mm-hmm. I know there's a bit of a story with when you found Groover. So do you want to talk us through that one? Yeah. Well, first got to meet Groover through my dad's shoeing friend, Craig Jones. His wife was a track work jockey and she was riding Groover at the time. And he must have been going to go into one last prep and business like that and then get put out on a spell. And then they said that I could, if he doesn't come back from his spell, or when he comes back from his spell, sorry, and he doesn't race well, but mm. they were going to get rid of him. So I got to try him before he went out in the spell. And literally, when I went down to see him at the track, he was literally just racehorse. So I didn't get much of an idea on him, but he looked pretty, obviously, and uh, with his big blaze and all. So then, when he went out <laughs> on his spell, I took him and got him back into work for them. And that was my like trial of him. And yep. yeah, he was, you know, an awesome dude right from the word go. And then a quote that I've always said, not a quote, but what I've always said is, you know, he might have only been with him about a week and I started to jump him and just jumped so amazingly natural, you know, such a lovely, you might not remember Groove, but, uh, you know, he just had this awesome, big, open, airy jump. Like, it was mm-hmm. something that was quite uh, different and, and I remember saying to Mark, like, if I was ever going to the Olympics, this would be the horse that I'd bite. Like, mm-hmm. It was just an odd, it was Looking back on it, it's an odd thing to say because I'd never sat on a horse that'd been really big, so I'd never been, you know, so it was, it was just yep. not there to say it and how it all came about. But before he went back to them, back to them to, to re-race him, that's what I noticed he had discharge coming out of his nose, this red, yellowy sort of serum coming out of his nose. And he rolled a lot. He loved rolling. So I thought he must have just hit his head in the box, like in his, mm. you know, sort of, 
And so when they took him back, they took him to the vets and soaked him, and then that's when they found ethmoid hematomas in his nasal cavity. And when they rang and said, well, this is what he's got, we're going to just send him to the knackery because, you know, to treat this is it's an extensive process, blah, 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 blah. And obviously he wasn't a winning racehorse for them, so they weren't. And so I was like, well, I can't have that. So I ended up buying him $300 from them, which is was mm. for the going rate, I guess. And so then well, I... Going, um, going rate for an Olympic horse for $300. Well, <laughs> going rate yeah. for, yes, a horse that they didn't need anymore anyway. So, mm. so yes, and then the process started that I would then... He had to have formalin injected into his head first. They, they drilled a hole into his skull and injected this formalin into it which was supposed to start to kill off the ethmoid hematoma because it's like a growing cancerous sort of thing, like a big blood clot, mm-hmm. which was which was working. It kept it at bay, but it then sort of went pushed up and over to the other side, like it was in, I can't even remember now, sorry, but, it, you know, it was over in the left side first, and that's what we were treating, but then it grew up and around into the other side. So then they actually had to open his skull up. Like there's a, And actually just the night, Tasha gave me a, some photos and one of them was one of Pearl Groover with the staples in his head from where he has the, oh. had his skull opened up. Yeah. But look, and it was, he had to have his his head opened up three times, I think. And um, yeah, when it comes about the second time to redo it, and Nick Kanagita was, is a surgeon, he's a quite a very renowned surgeon, he treated Groover and he said, you know, this is pretty extensive stuff, like is it something that you want to keep doing? He says, because I can't give you any guarantee that it's going to stop and um, mm. as I was literally sort of saying do we keep going with it do we not and and you know as I was in dire straits about the whole thing and but then he said to me he goes you know a horse wouldn't have gone through what he's gone through if he's not going to be a survivor you know like mm. it's such an extensive operation and they lose so much blood he said he's such a tough horse he says let's give it one more go you know because he says he's and he did he's literally said he's meant for great things to survive a lot so far with this mm. yeah so we did the operation again, and then he had no more trouble with it for the rest of his time. Like, I had to keep getting him scoped to make sure nothing was regrowing. But the yep. good thing about it was he only sort of had to have maybe a month off after each operation, but I okay. could still ride him because it was only in his head, you know, and he had his staples in and all that sort of stuff. And so it wasn't mm. his legs or any injury that you had to rest him on. So I actually could keep him in light work the whole time so he could still actually progress with his career without mm-hmm. having these huge gaps off with the operation. So mm-hmm. it was, it's a massive ordeal. Like if I was ever fronted with it again, you know, mm-hmm. early on with a horse, you know, I wouldn't, you wouldn't go through with it unless it was, because um, it, it, it's pretty full on. I mean, it would easily have cost me about $15,000 with all the operations. Oh, easy, wow. You know, mm-hmm. like it was mm-hmm. quite extensive, but. Lucky yeah, for that job but, at the meatworks, hey? Well, that's, there you go. Lucky for that. Because <laughs> that was literally when I was still grooming for Tasha when, when oh, okay, I had then, Groover, yep. you know, when all that yep. was still early days. So mm. literally, mm. I think I sold my car to at the time, you know, all that sort of stuff to pay yeah. for that. And that, yeah. that's what you do. Like, that's just all part and parcel of it, you know. And yeah, no regrets. No regrets mm. of any mm. of it. No regrets mm. in, in any way. Like, but what I gained out of having him, you know. Mm. Mm. What's your proudest moment then? Oh, look, I mean, going to the Olympics is, is definitely, you know, the proudest moment. Definitely mm. was. Like, just, just all, everything I, I associated thought, I thought with you'd it. say that, but, you know, I just, just had yeah. to ask. <laughs> no, yeah. everything yeah. associated with that. And, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, but you know, you can you can even just say the process of leading into even going. Like I, I remember uh, winning the bareback high jumping down at Albury on Groover when he was just a two-star horse. You know, like there's just so many moments that just revolved around that horse and, and going places that it's definitely him. Like he is my proudest moment because he made my name what it is today. You know, I'm I'm sitting here having this interview with you because of that horse. So mm-hmm. he is my proudest moment. So. Mm-hmm. Literally all the time, yeah, with him. Okay, now what I'd like you to do, because you do quite a lot of coaching, is to think of some common problems or common problems that people have with their horses but also how to fix them, you know, because people listening are going to, there's a lot of people that might have those problems or or that problem, but they also want to know how to fix the problem, what to look at, you know, what they need to do to help fix the problem. Help fix the problem. I guess the biggest problem that everyone would have is just how to, you know, the getting a straightness in a horse is is the hardest task, you know. To have your horse straight on the flat, to have your horse cantering straight, travelling straight, to travel to a fence. So that is literally, I think, the people understanding the concept of how to get their horse straight is the toughest thing. And, I mean, how to fix it, how to do that. I mean, that's a tough one to say over the phone because, I mean, whether you're going left or right on a horse, there's different ways to position them, each horse, to how you have to position them to get them straight. You know, every horse is different whether you're riding a horse off the track. You know, they'll come off the track with oddities in how they travel, you know, like literally that horse could be moving in five different directions, but you're on one horse, but you literally feel his head, his neck, his shoulders, his, his barrel and his quarters all go a different way, you know, so... To straighten all that up does take, you know, this different adjustment. And then, you know, a horse can be crooked just because the rider holds the left rein more than the right or they drop their right shoulder or, you know, just things like that can make that horse be uneven and not straight. So how to fix it, I I mean, that is tough. There's just so many different elements in it. But working on how to actually ride your straight, it's very very easy to ride a horse crooked, to ride a horse uh, (laughs) sideways and all that. It's very easy. But to ride a horse straight... That is the key. That is the key to a lot of problems. Like even for people to travel to a fence, like and a lot of people worry about jumping, you know, getting this right spot, getting the correct takeoff distance. To have your horse straight coming into a fence, it doesn't matter whether the distance is, you know, a deep distance, a far away distance. But if the horse is straight, the horse will always, not always mention that, but the horse will definitely be able to sort the distance and jump better and that. But if they're crooked, They'll go sideways, they'll drift, they'll twist, and the landing will be awkward, then the departure will be awkward, then the new approach to the next fence. So straightness is one of the biggest things, you know, that's the key to mm-hmm. getting that one sorted, yeah. Okay, so we've got the straightness as the problem. The sounds like the identifying why the horse is crooked needs to be identified before you go about fixing it, yep. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And I mean, look... You know, it doesn't take a coach that long to work out where the crookedness is coming from. Mm-hmm. Yep, identified. And a lot of horses can be crooked because there's unsoundness issues in them, you know, like they could be weak in the back or just anything like that can make them not want to go straight. They might be crowding because of those different sort of things, you know, not being able to travel straight with their quarters. But mm-hmm. that's where you need a, a professional a coach to be able to help identify that and treat it or, yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory with practical components that can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. 
That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. Now, talking about off-the-track horses, you know, just a bit of advice for someone who is looking at an off-the-track horse. You've said that with Groomer, he had a big scoby jump, but you had the opportunity to trial him beforehand. What are we looking for? For a horse, you know, a bit of advice for people buying a horse off the track. Um, What do you think the main priorities are? The main priorities, I guess, being able to look at their confirmation, like have an idea of, you know, what a good confirmation is, how, how their legs ideally need to line up, you know, the angles of their of their back legs, like where they're positioned underneath their body and are they long in the back, you know, you know, to avoid horses that are quite long in the back. I mean, what we do anyway is so straining on their sacroiliac and so many racehorses come off the track already quite weak and, you know, injured in the sacroiliac. Like, um, so it's, I think that's a big thing that has to be identified, you know, to see whether that weakness can be corrected with physio and with treatment, you know, because a lot of horses definitely, with us, which I've found now, like more, that a lot of horses are failing with that and they're actually like mm-hmm. coming off the track. Like it's such a, a tough sport that, you know, and their feet, like to really have an idea and, and, and a knowledge about a horse's feet, you know, what you're looking for there. Because mm-hmm. I mean... So many problems. 99% of the problems definitely come from the feet and work up. So just having those sort of things, a bit of knowledge about that when you go to look at the horse. I mean, you can even do your own little assessment when you're there of a flexion test, you know, like and then trim mm-hmm. them up off that. Mm-hmm. You know, and standing in front of them, having someone trot it toward you, seeing how their front feet land, you know, if they're paddling. And you can definitely do your own little assessment. I mean, but walking the horse out, seeing its quality of its walk, like if the horse got a lovely long, stride like a lovely overtrack in the walk that's a good sign you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah people need to really do a good assessment of them because there's so many horses that are coming off the track now that are quite hindered from their racing days definitely mm. okay just thinking about the horses that you've got in work have you got horses down where you are now at Tasha's place yes I do yes yeah. yes yeah how many horses do you have in work I've only got two down with because I Last time I was down, I had six, but I've sold sold all of them. So I've just got two other horses of other people that are with me now just to finish off these last couple of events. Okay. But, yes, I've, I'm working with Andrew and running some of Andrew's horses and things like that. So but I've only just got two down with me at the moment, which is great. Okay. So just when you're riding horses for other people, what sort of – if you can explain a bit about the responsibilities, communication with the owners – you know, just a bit about um, – because if people dream about it. People dream about someone else picking up the bill, you know. I mean, that's that's yeah. the dream of a rider that wants to be professional. You know, oh, I've got yeah, all these expenses. Right. It's so expensive competing horses. I just want to have sponsors and I just want someone paying all the bills. So what mm-hmm. can you say about the responsibilities that you've got to have before you can get owners, before you can get – people paying you to ride their horses and then once you've got those horses what sort of ongoing communication you need to have with the owners of the horse every owners are different like some owners want or need to be kept up to date weekly some owners and this is this is knowing your owners of, of what you mm. need to give back to them and yep. some are happy just for an update every you know after the competition or you know a rough update of when you're going to this competition or some of them don't even yeah, so I guess it's knowing what your owners want out of it because, mm-hmm. yeah, like just one of them doesn't need me to call every day. Like it's it's not like that at all. He puts full 
trust in what I'm doing and he doesn't need me to explain it to him every day because he's already, that's why he's given me the horse because he already has or sees what I do so he doesn't need to be kept in the loop with it all the time. Mm-hmm. But look, I mean, the big thing is to keep an owner, to to look after your owners is, is just be totally transparent and honest with the ability of that horse that you're riding. You know, if mm-hmm. you don't feel like that horse is going to be the superstar, you know, he needs to be taken to the level that he's comfortable at and this, that, and sold on, you know, or, or sold to where he's going to suit that next person or whatever. So then because the owner is backing you and wants great things from you, then you find that next horse that is going to go that next level. Or I guess it's just, it's just having that good communication with your owners to know what they want out of it. Yep. You know, and some owners just are happy for your that horse of theirs just to go around pre novice and, and not have to go any higher. They just like the whole actual social side of it, okay. of you riding their horse. You know, and there, and there is a lot in that. So I guess it's, it's just knowing exactly what your owner is investing in, mm-hmm. whether it's just the social side and the fun of it and enjoying to go to the shows and you might get a ribbon or that owner wants you to take that horse to the Olympic Games or look for bigger things, you know, for the return of the of how much money they're putting into it. Because yeah. it's a very expensive thing to have someone pay you to ride a horse. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of, lot invested in it. Okay. And what about sponsors? It's, it's another dream. I'll just want sponsors to pay all the bills for me. But what do you have to do or be before a sponsor approaches you and what do you have to give back to the sponsor? I think, like, sponsors want uh, – obviously, yes, yes, you have to be very good out on show and you have to perform well and look good out in the public eye. But, the like, the couple of sites, Rose Hip Vital, that have just come on board in the last few months, like, they contacted me just out of me being – not a nice person in public, that's how I put it across, but they liked my public appearance, you know, they like how I am when I'm at competitions, you know, how people are attracted to you and, and want to talk to you and then and they, the feedback they get is just of people talking great about my mannerism to other people and around other people and, you know, and then I'm also, also she rides really well and she competes really well and but so they've come on board out of a different aspect straight up just of my personality, mm-hmm. you know, and they want someone also to be able to promote their product, not only by my, you know, my accolades of what I've done, but also that I'm an approachable person, that someone can easily walk up to me and say, how are you going? Joe Blow off the street and I can talk to them, you know, in, in, in any fashion in that way. Yeah. So that's what sponsors do want, someone that can, be that approachable person mm-hmm. that can talk about their product. So it's not this person that can't talk about it, but you might look good in all the gear. You might go out and win, but they want the general public to be able to come up and approach you. Yep. That's what they do want, to have you to be able to easily communicate at any level to anybody that you're speaking to. So I think that's a big one. And, yeah, look, I mean, uh, these days with Facebook and Instagram and all that sort of stuff, it does make it a lot easier for us because, again, like paperwork and all that sort of business is, is a tough thing because that has to be done at late at night once you finish your day's work and you're, you're very tired, so it's hard to then report into sponsors. But with, you know, public me- uh, the media today, with how easy it is to be able to put stuff on Facebook and Instagram, like to always promote sponsors, it makes, it's, it's great. It's great for us now. Like stick up a photo and you can tag all your sponsors and everyone, you know, the public has to see that so quickly. Mm. But it does make it a hell of a lot easier for us now to be able to promote them out there like that, not just on our trucks or not just with what I'm wearing, you know, when I'm out teaching and competing. Yep. So 
Yeah. No, I think that's good. That certainly shows then that you're representing the company. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah yep. that's right. All right. Now, what are you looking forward to? I mean, you know, you've been down with Tasha and Andrew for a bit and now you're on your way home. I will after the Wallaby Hill three-day event in, in December. Okay. I'm going to head back to, yes, back to Queensland, but then I'm heading over to New Zealand actually for a little bit of a break, and a good friend of mine, Simone Khan, she used to live over here in Australia, but yes. she's based over in New Zealand now. Okay. So I'm going to head over there and spend a few weeks with her over Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I'm looking forward to, like, when I come back for next year, that I'm going to uh, head over to America. I'd like to get back over there and check out the scene there for a little bit to see whether it's something that, you know, would be, again, again for more experience for me. Like, I'd love to go over there and train in America and, and, and learn some more things mm-hmm. and, and be around new people. So, yep. yeah, I was thinking of sussing that out at the start of next year, actually. Okay. It's the first time in my life I've not got any of my own horses. I've sold them all and I'm actually horse-free apart from the owner's horses that I have at present. Yep. Yeah, so that's a, it's going to be a little bit of a change for me next year. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. That sounds good. We'll have to stay in touch about that. That'll be good. Yeah. 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 Now, just summing up your philosophy into a lesson today, you know, just so a bit of a sum up of what we've talked about so that people can take it away and, you know, think about it during the day and learn from it. Bit of a sum up of what we've all, what we've spoken yeah, about. What we've spoken <laughs> about, but, you know, your philosophy in general. You know, you started off with talking about your favourite quote and believe in yourself, be confident, you know, be yeah. motivated. But you tell tell us what, you know, because it's a bit like parting words. Just remember this to the listeners. I think the believing, the believing in yourself with this sport is a big one. Like, look, I don't even think it's this sport. I think it's, it's all sports. It's in, it's in all aspects of, of, of life, you know, like it's, there's so many people there to congratulate you, but there's so many people there too to sort of the tall poppy syndrome or pull you down even when you're you're being successful, you know. Or so I think that's where you do need that mentor, that coach, that person that you have to always have your back and let you know that you're doing a good job, or you know, keep going with it. I see, I see, you know, down the track that this is going to happen for you, and this is going to be. You do need that person, like I. Just the other day, not the other day, but, you know, a couple of months ago, say, I, I did some work on a horse of another client, you know, and it was a bit of a tough a tough job in that sense. And, and I had that horse down with me with Tasha and Andrew. And, you know, Tasha rang me when, when I sent the horse back and cause it was the end of its time with my training. And she said, you know, I'm just letting you know you did a really good job on That's that good, horse. Isn't it? Mm. You know, and, and it was nice to hear that because, you know, I let – my students know or you know that you're doing a really good job on that horse you know and people and I'm not saying it to make them feel good generally just to make them feel good I'm letting them know mm. they've done a really good job on it you've done a great job in your you know just and people do need to hear that like and and when when Tasha specifically rang me and said I just want to let you know you've done a great job on that horse you've really you know and I was like hey, I'm 40 years old and I went thank you mm. you know I felt just because she's my mentor, she's she's coached me for like a good twenty years now, and so I think it's finding that person because you know I trust Tasha and Andrew. You know, like uh, if I ask for direction of them, I don't then go and go. I don't question that, or I don't have to go and ask someone else because I believe in what they say because they're my mentors. And, and I think we all we all need to find that person, and everyone needs reassurance. Everyone needs someone to give a pat on the back. Everyone needs. We all do. So I guess that's 
my philosophy in that sense of believing in yourself, you know, because, and this is, uh, this one girl I was teaching, like, great, great person, got on so well, I really enjoyed her, but I, at one point through, I put her so many times, and I just wasn't getting across to her, and I sort of said to her this one day, I said, you know what, I think the problem is you just don't trust me, you know, and it's not that she didn't like me, or, and never that, we were really, it was all really cool, but I just said, I you just can't let go and you just can't trust me. You know, when I say, you know, come onto that fence and put your left hand forward, I'm just making this up now. Mm. You know, you can't do that. There's always something that's always pulling you back and you can't just do it because I've said, because you trust me. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm not taking it personally. I know it's not because you don't like me or believe in what I'm saying, but you just can't go that bit to trust me. And there's a lot involved in what we do of trusting that person that's giving you that guidance. So I said, look, you need to... I'm not benefiting you because you need to find someone that you can trust, you know, because I'm not, I'm not being able to help you because you can't just let go in that sense. So I think finding that right person, yeah, is very important in anyone's progression to whatever level, to whatever they want to do with horses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a good takeaway mm-hmm. for people to think mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Now, yeah. Rebel, how can people contact you? I guess, I, uh, I mean, over Facebook's easy on my athlete's page, yep. my email address, my phone number's out there pretty much, you know, it's pretty easy to track down, so I'm pretty easy to contact. Okay. Not and that those... many rebels around, not that <laughs> many rebels. Mm. Those uh, contact details will be on horsechats.com slash rebelmorrow as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, been great talking to you today. Um, hopefully we'll talk Thank to you, you again sometime and, you know, certainly in, uh, you know, when you're in New Zealand and the U.S., with the wonders of the internet, we can still catch up. Absolutely. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'll, uh, I'll leave a paper trail of what my experience is in New Zealand because anything that's rolled around um, Simon Khan is always entertaining. So <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be good fun. We're going to, there must be some big horse show, show jumping show on over there before Christmas. So I'm looking forward to that. She's got me a couple of horses to ride, so good. I'm sure that'll be entertaining. Good, good. <laughs> You're such a horse person having a break and going to a horse yeah. show. <laughs> well, that's it. But the, the, she said it can be a working holiday yep. for you. I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, thanks very much. Good to talk to you. No problem. Bye. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.